This is iUniverse Radio, brought to you by iUniverse, the leading book marketing, editorial services, and supported self-publishing company. iUniverse Radio is your opportunity to hear firsthand from authors about their new books. It's an in-depth discussion about the author's passion about the development of his or her story in their own words. It's an inside look into the characters and the plot and how the story all came together. Here is iUniverse Radio with host Steve Jorgensen. Greetings from iUniverse. This is J. Douglas Barker. The title of the book is But You Look So Good, Stories by Carcinoid Cancer Survivors. And our author, who joins me from California, Maria J. Gonzalez. Welcome to the program, Maria. Thank you. Pleasure to be here. Good to visit with you. You're talking and have written about a very important topic for our contemporary society. There are some issues out there, and there have been some problems with this particular disease. What is your background? Why did you decide to share these stories? I am a uh, nurse practitioner and physician assistant and am a a third-year medical student. And the reason I chose to write about carcinoid cancer is because I'm a survivor. I have have this cancer. You have that cancer. Yes, and a lot of people do not know or realize that neuroendocrine um, cancers exist. In fact, a lot of people are told that it is a benign cancer, in quotes, a benign tumor, and that once it is removed, they are cured. But that's not so. Share for my listeners what the term or how the term carcinoid, that's not a term that's well known by most individuals who might be listening today. Carcinoid is but one of many types of tumors under the umbrella of neuroendocrine cancer. The majority of um, neuroendocrine tumors are carcinoid, carcinoid cancer. And I decided to title it, you know, talk about these uh, stories of carcinoid survivors because the majority of them are carcinoid survivors. You have and yes yeah, so the, the, you you will you have mentioned this in your in your book in your writing about the male gender mm-hmm. in specific that a lot of the tumor sites or one of the more well-known sites would be the pancreas or colorectal cancer. The majority are of the intestines, small intestine in particular, but it can hit any site, for instance, the pancreas, as you mentioned. They're called VIPomas, and in fact, this is a cancer that Steve Jobs died of, Mm. and it was in Forbes magazine, so I'm not... um, breaking any confidentiality when I talk about this. You have and there all... are other uh, well-known people who have died of this cancer, including Audrey Hepburn, and I was hmm. 
totally shocked when I discovered this. There's a link also to heart disease, from what I'm understanding in your book. Yes. It, the serotonin that the tumors produce will affect the heart valves, especially the tricuspid valve, because this is where the blood comes back into the heart to get oxygenated so it can be carried to, throughout the rest of the body. And what happens is the valve will become stiff and not, and you'll have a backflow of blood instead of uh, it closing and allowing the blood to flow in properly. And the, the other valve that's affected is the pulmonary valve. And a lot of people will need valve replacement. Maria, how would you, how would you describe... You have heart failure. How would you describe your book? You have, uh, have completed a total of 254 pages. There is a lot of detail in your book. Was this a book that you felt would be beneficial to practitioners, uh, or is this for the general public? Who did you have in mind when you wrote this? I really wanted to spread the word about this cancer. I I, I wanted to enhance awareness, and I, I didn't want to get in I didn't want to write a medical book I intend to but I wanted to let people know that this cancer exists and that it does take lives people can live with it for a long long time and if the only time that it is curable is if it's found early and in the appendix and it's removed and there are no nodes in the peritoneal cavity that are that have been affected that have cancer cells because they do a pretty good search when they um, go in after the appendix. And lo and behold, they will find carcinoid and it's removed and they are cured. But the majority of people, by the time they go in <clears throat> to their physician, with multiple complaints, they have metastasis. And by that, I mean it's already gone to the liver, so they are stage four cancer. Mm. And in answer to your question, I wanted to increase awareness, and I will continue to do so. Share your thoughts. Not only because, not only because I have it, but because I care about people knowing especially when they come back from their physician saying, oh, I had surgery and I am now cured, I'm cancer-free. I happen to believe that there is no cure, per se, for a lot of cancers. Share your thoughts with the listener about your view of nutrition, how important that is, and what type of nutrition would you recommend? For cancer in general or for carcinoid? For, for both. I really, I truly believe that we need to have a good intake of, <clears throat> pardon me, protein. I happen to be vegetarian, but we can get a lot of protein from seeds, from other plants, and I believe in eating small meals versus three large ones. 
I'm against eating humongous amounts of uh, meat in particular, fats, um, and sugar. Sugar is a big one. Mm-hmm. I mean, who ever heard of kids drinking pink milk? And it's and I believe in reading labels. Look at the first ingredient, and you will see that the majority of foods contain a lot of sugar. It's first ingredient, and True. sodium. Sodium. We get triple, or maybe even more than triple, the amount of salt that we need in our our daily. Uh, I interviewed an author last week who had written a book on medical cannabis. You have that as a reference, or not that particular book, but that idea referenced in your in your uh, in your findings. What are your thoughts about that? I believe that the endo um, cannabinoids in um, medical cannabis play a huge role in fighting not only symptoms, but some people claim that they have been cured of cancer. I'm still on the fence about that. No real Uh, substantiated data at this point. Pardon? No substantiating data at this point. It's all anecdotal. Uh, There are many places one can go to, like Aunt Zelda's, if one is on Facebook, and Rick Simpson is the father really of he claims that he was cured from his cancer and people do not get mind altered there's no you know they don't they usually vaporize it and make tinctures that they apply on lesions or sores and they are healed but I personally have not uh, even though my physician recommended that I get a medical card, a card for to go to a club to to get what I needed, I still have not done so. But they have strains now that can help with anxiety, with insomnia, with nausea, vomiting, and having worked as a nurse and seeing how people suffer and conventional treatment and doesn't help. Why not? Why not try medical cannabis? What is the BRAT diet and its significance? How is it useful? It is for dehydration. And when one is so depleted of electrolytes from diarrhea, which is probably one of the biggest symptoms of uh, this cancer, BRAT stands for uh, bananas, rice, applesauce, tea, and later on, as the symptoms are handled, toast. So very bland, very easy on the GI tract, and one can add Pedialyte, or uh, we now have some uh, electrolyte tablets that people can take if they're not vomiting. But I always advise taking any of these um foods in small amounts, starting with, say, half an ounce, progressing to an ounce, to as tolerated. You have a lot of uh, individual stories in the book. Is there anything that stands out to you uh, among the stories, or are they all pretty important? 
they all have their own unique voice. And in my opinion, every story in the book will offer the reader a very intimate portrait of who they are and what what they have gone through to get a diagnosis of this cancer. And the uh, the diagnosis takes a while, doesn't it? It's not always easily easily discovered. Correct. On average, it can take up to 7.5 to 10 years to be diagnosed. People go through an assortment of diagnoses before the correct one is finally uh, found. They may be told they have irritable bowel syndrome. That's usually the, the very first uh, choice on the list when, it's, when a, we present to a physician with the relentless diarrhea that usually is a presenting symptom. By the time flushing has occurred, there's metastasis, and even then, we are doubted. We are told we have, we're menopause for women, that we're closet alcoholics, that we're neurotic, that maybe it's because we're eating spicy foods. And not until we keep banging on the door do we get that diagnosis after a biopsy. Listen to your body is the message. Oh, absolutely. And have physicians listen to us, especially the ones who are not who are the old, you know, the older doctors. And nothing against older physicians here, but I really, really want to get the message across that when a patient presents with symptoms that do not fit a pattern that was taught in medical school, that the patient will give you the history, will give you the diagnosis by giving you the history, that they need to look beyond the hoofbeats. They need to look for zebras. We are zebras. If you can't find it, you can't detect it. Great advice, Maria. Your story itself is also one that is a challenge. Share a little of that, Maria. Titled it Maria's Wild Ride. When I was diagnosed, I had been to my oncologist multiple times, and I had gone because I had uh, I have a history of having had breast cancer. Years later. I started having all these strange symptoms that I couldn't explain, even though I was working internal medicine with multiple specialists. And he did not, he totally invalidated my symptoms. He called me neurotic. He said I had irritable bowel syndrome because by this time I was losing a lot of weight and having a lot of diarrhea. At one point in time, looked me straight in the eye and asked me if I was a closet alcoholic. Well, from what you've described, then, it's important for the individual to take charge of their own health, not just accept a diagnostic uh, comment like that, and also to to find a way to fight disease if it uh, attacks them. Absolutely. We have to be our own self-advocates, not just take the word of the physician, as was done in the olden days in the Marcus Welby era, right? to research. It has changed for sure. The title of the book is, But You Look So Good. Stories by Carcinoid Cancer Survivors, our author, Maria J. Gonzalez. Maria, where can my listeners get copies of your book? Barnes & Noble, Amazon, iUniverse. iUniverse is a publisher. Or one can go to the page on, if you're on Facebook and I will answer any questions. I will direct people to where they can get the book. You can get it on um, 
uh, Kindle for your Kindle or the actual, you know, hard copy of the book, which also lists a lot of resources for people to go to, not just for carcinoids, but for cancer in general. I have a chapter on self-advocacy, and at the end of every story, I have little quotes, like, for instance, by Norman Cousins, fear is a great accelerator of disease, hope, faith, confidence, and the will to live set an auspicious stage for recovery. Excellent. Well said. This book is one for anyone who is touched by this horrific disease, cancer. There is hope and there is an answer out there. If you'll just do some research and study a little bit, this book will give you a lot of resources in order to accomplish that if you're going through that challenge. The title again is But You Look So Good, Stories by Carcinoid Cancer Survivors. Our author has been Maria J. Gonzalez. And may I add that the reason I titled it that you look so good is that the majority of people with this cancer do not look like our typical view of what a cancer survivor looks like. A lot of a lot of us do not look like we have cancer. The reason the cover has a zebra look to it is because this is a zebra. This cancer is a zebra. You also mentioned that it can hide for up to seven years. Those symptoms may not be diagnosed as much as seven years. So it's important to take care of your health. Thank you so much for joining me today and sharing your story and also the story of others on how they approached and are surviving carcinoid cancer. But You Look So Good is the title. Maria J. Gonzalez has been my guest. For iUniverse, this is J. Douglas Barker. You're listening to iUniverse Radio. We'll be back right after these messages. Congratulations on being the proud owner of an adorable, soft, cuddly, sweet-smelling, smiling, cooing, hungry, tired, gassy, screaming little bundle of joy. So now what? Where's the owner's manual for this thing? Where are my instructions? Right here. It's Baby and Toddler Instructions with Blythe Lipman on toginet.com. Infant care specialist Blythe Lippman has worked with babies for over 20 years and works extensively with new parents providing workshops, in-home visits, tips, and daily phone calls to ease those frazzled nerves. With baby and toddler instructions, you can get the advice you need on how to survive and enjoy your baby's first year. For more information on Blythe and how she can help you, go to babyinstructions.com. From 32 ways to stop a baby from crying to 14 ways to get a baby to eat and so much more, it's Baby and Toddler Instructions with Blythe Lipman on toginet.com. Welcome back to iUniverse Radio with host Steve Jorgensen. Greetings for iUniverse. This is Jay Douglas Barker. The book is titled Flights of Fancy, a book of poetry, prose, and imaginative short stories. Our author, Bernadette Bland, joins me from New York State in the United States of uh, America. Welcome, Bernadette. Thank you. Good to to be here. Good to visit with you. Your book is a relatively short read, uh, 64 pages or so. Have you always written poetry? Uh, Not for the last, uh, I haven't written it up until the last. 10, 15 years. And I it, had never done it. I happened to write poetry. It came out 
over the death of a friend, and it, it just helped me put my feelings in, in place. And how long are these poems that you have assembled here and have shared with the public, are these uh, poetry pieces that uh, were assembled over the 10-year period? Did it take you 10 years to get these together? Oh, yes, yes, because you don't always have the initiative to get it done. <laughs> I hear you. I have yes, the same pr- same problem with getting up in the morning sometimes. I, I understand. <laughs> I can relate to that. Now, do you, do you still, are you still writing poetry? Is this something that you have all your life wanted to do, be a poet? I've always wanted to write, not necessarily to be a poet. I never really believed that I could do that until my friend passed away very suddenly. And it was the only way I could express myself and and get it out there. Have you I had? Ha- yeah, have you had an opportunity already to share this with? Uh, you mentioned your friends. Have uh, have your friends or family members or other people uh, been enjoying your poetry uh, over the uh, past ten years? Oh yes, they have. Yes, they have. My family has mainly, and now it's going out to my friends and. Uh, comrades, so to speak. So you've you've had some encouragement. Uh, sometimes when we uh, do things publicly, like I uh, I think I'm a singer, so when I sing publicly, sometimes I get encouragement. Sometimes I get booed. So this is this is <laughs> this has been a positive thing for you then. Yes, yes, it has. It's it's very very helpful. I find that um, <laughs> when you've got something on your mind, write it down, and oh, even if it's just in notes and then put it all together and be surprised how much it does help. It does help Mm -hmm. to be able to express yourself creatively when you have that desire. Uh, If you don't mind, I I think my listeners would love to get a a feel for the type of poetry that you write and the style. Do you have something that you have written that you think is good representation of of your style of writing? Well, I have, let me see, I have several. I have one here that as time has gone which kind of explains or it depicts some of my past. Some of it is just behind the mask. I'm trying to get the feelings um, of what it would be like for somebody whose life it is to be jolly and happy all the time when it not necessarily might be that way. Some of it's just pure imagination. <laughs> well, share some of that with us, if you will. I really, uh, uh, let me see. Let me give you the one that as time has gone, how much I once loved you and how the hurt still runs deep. I hold your beloved face within the dreams that I keep. Your dark-eyed gaze, so steady, so warm, the crevices of your smile in the face of your newborn. A haunting memory and absolute love once shared, this shredded heart of mine cannot be repaired. Though years are gone, you are with me still. The child I raised, I could not call Will. But your smile he wears, my secret joy fulfilled. His dark looks are the same, but even so, he cannot wear your name. And that's just one. That's just one. And you, your style of writing, I'm noticing uh, the cadence or the style of uh, putting the poetry together. Some are longer, long, uh, longer pieces or longer lines in your writing. Mm-hmm. Uh, others are short. So there's a variety of style in your in your writing as well, isn't there? Oh yes, yeah. Uh, because I don't really stick to one one style in particular. I just write what I feel, and usually then bring it together. 
I'm noticing one uh, titled Wind Speaks, which is a, oh. a totally different uh, style, it looks like. Uh, you've written in there, the wind speaks in whispers while rustling playfully through a field of brilliant wildflowers. In Banshee mm-hmm. Wales, chilling and shivery on dark, stormy nights, with icy shrieks forecasting the bitterest cold of frigid nor'easters, and on it goes. So you are very descriptive in your writing. Well, yeah, I, I always felt that that was kind of important. You want to be able to put the reader there, where, you are, where you're coming from. And do you, ha- do, do you have another one that you might share with us? I'm looking at God's ha- handwriting. That looks like an intriguing piece. You have also have uh, included photos in your book of, I'm guessing, family members and other uh, artwork and other things that are important to you. Yes, yes. Uh, God speaks. Where am I? I have to go through the book. <laughs> To find stuff I picked so up. So you don't point. you don't have it memorized. Well, I couldn't really <laughs> memorize all of them. <laughs> I just thought I'd ask. Yes, uh, that, that, that was on page. Some, that one's on page I nine. Can. I think it is. Page nine is the one that caught my attention. Well, some I can, some I can't. Yeah. Yes. God. Oh, the wind, wind speaks, or oh God, um, God's God's, God's handwriting. Hand, they're all they're God's all, handwriting. Yes, okay. God's handwriting. Yes. Yeah, I can't help that because I I notice living up here in upstate New York, you see the beauty of the snow, and one time it struck me that it came over the wall, and it came down onto the road that it looked like an ocean wave. From that point on, I made a note of it. And I said, well, this is more or less different of how I feel. You want me to share that? I think that would be a, a great and appropriate for the time of year that we're in, where snow is oh. starting to descend upon the earth. Yeah, we got our first snow last night. So <laughs> it's uh, in God's handwriting. The stillness of the crystalline dawn slips gently into day, scattering starlight bright effervescence in a serene and godlike way. The simmering frosty landscape catches tranquil beauty unrivaled, a glistening desert land of drifted crystal sand, written in God's own majestic hand. An artisan bold, he sculpts and he chisels. New fantasies he designs out of crusty ice drizzle of mercurial envisage and effervescent Mirage that at day's end, by the radiant glow of the high risen moon, the diamond oasis sparkles. It reflects the exquisite wonder, so pristine lace comforter, adorned in prisms like crystals. Such beauteous artistry can only be the handwriting of God creator of all that you see. Beautifully put. It's very, very descriptive of uh, what I see in a first snowfall when it's fresh right. and uh, and beautiful on the ground. When you began to share this with, with your, your family members, and it uh, then from that progressed into, let's put a book out there. Who did you want to reach with your poetry? Uh, let's say people like me who like things 
peaceful and beautiful things who are um, people who are into God. So many people are not these days, but those who are will understand how I think when I look at the beautiful landscapes, even the simple things around me, a real a wildflower like we have up the road or a, a daisy or a black-eyed Susan, things like that. Just simple, simple things that appeal to people. And that's what I wanted to put down. And that's what I put out there. You shared not only your creativity, but also your your heartfelt sentiments in your book. Oh, yes. Yeah, I, I really did put my heart out there because those are the things that affect me the most. As a matter of fact, some of them, you know, are not so good, but others are. And the descriptions of, of the snow and the, like, drifting grace and things like that, those those are my heart as, as I can put it down on paper. The photos that you have in the book, are those your personal photos that you've shared? Well, some of them are photos, and some of them, one of them is a painting that I did. And the, the little girl on the, on the hobby horse is my granddaughter. Beautiful. When she was three, she's ten now. <laughs> but, uh, yes, they, they are pretty much all personal pictures that I took of the sea, or my husband took for me. He's a better photographer. But those are the things that I, that I really can get into. You just sit back and listen in the quiet and enjoy every part of it. That's all there is. Describe for my, my listeners uh, what type of topics that you approach in your short stories. Well, one of them was um, the house that we moved into when we first came here to New York. Uh, we came here from Illinois. And the house we had purchased sight unseen oh my. was an old house. <laughs> and I just couldn't help myself, but I had to write down the things that I saw, but from the perspective of what the old house might think, if it could think. <laughs> and I thought it was just kind of a fun project to do because, I mean, it was, it was a surprise. I was used to Navy housing, and all of a sudden here I am with this old fixer-upper and... <sighs> I thought, oh, boy, what am I going to do this? <laughs> so, that, that was a courageous move, moving into a house you hadn't even seen. You bought a sight unseen. Yeah, well, when you when my husband retired from the Navy, we didn't have a chance to come home and, and look things over. We couldn't really afford to go back to Connecticut, so we took uh, the advice of a friend of his on the base and read his local newspaper. And that's how we found the that's house in the first it. place. Incredible. How yeah. would you how would you how would you introduce this book to my listeners in a couple of maybe paragraphs or a couple of sentences? What would you say to them to get them interested in flights of fancy? Well, uh, I think I would tell them that flights of fancy is just that they are flights of fancy things that are fanciful. In my head, I find that I can work my way around, and it's just I think it would appeal to people who just like to have short, quiet moments. Quiet, reflect, than, quite reflective moments, sharing, yeah. sharing your, uh, your ideas, your concepts, your imagination. Are there any messages or any words that might underscore to the listener what your book also will reinforce to them? Uh, no words in particular, but some of these, some of the poems will underline some of life's 
reflections as it can be. Life isn't always what they say, um, a bed of roses. It, it's sometimes it's not so much. And those are the things that it's reality. It would, can be. Would you also say that uh, maybe the underscored message here, because there are some very positive poetry and uh, stories that you've told, that it also is a, a way to underscore that you can make your dreams come to life with a purpose? Oh, most definitely, most definitely. That Because I've been wanting to write. I mean, I wrote newspaper works for years, but it's so structured that you don't really have the chance to be creative. So this is this is strictly just it's just me and how I see things, how I feel about things, uh, things that I think would appeal to people that are just said so that that like I said, reflective of the world in general as I see it. Beautifully done. The title of the book again is Flights of Fancy. A book of poetry, prose, and imaginative short stories, about 64 pages or so. Our author, Bernadette Bland, B-L-A-N-D, has joined me from New York State. Bernadette, where can my listeners get a copy of your book? Uh, it can be ordered from uh, Amazon.com, but I do have a website, which is uh, Creative Flights of Fancy, and that will tell you where you can get them. It also can be ordered from iUniverse as well as Barnes & Noble, from what I understand. Very good. I know people have looked for it there. They should also be able to get it from their local uh, provider uh, worldwide if they request it by name, Flights of Fancy, and under your name, Bernadette Bland. Bernadette, thank you for joining me today and sharing your story. Are you planning to maybe do a follow-up book? Yes, yes, as a matter of fact, I am. I've already started on it, and I thank you very much, Jay. I appreciate it. I really had a good time talking with you. Well, congratulations on this book, and we look forward to visiting with you in the future when the next book is released. For iUniverse, this is Jay Douglas Barker. You're listening to iUniverse Radio. We'll be back right after these messages. Join us for Self-Aid Success Stories with Helen Wu. Wednesday nights at 10, 9 central on toginet.com. Helen Wu was born and raised in San Francisco's Chinatown. And after a very difficult upbringing, fighting depression, abuse, and addictions, she finally finds herself genuinely happy inside and out. Helen believes in taking our positive thinking and doing something positive to achieve a positive outcome. She's here to make a positive difference in your life, to be your game changer, your aha moment mentor. She's ready to help both men and women get into a better place. Helen Wu is also the author of Self-Aid Success Stories, 25 Success Stories from Successful Entrepreneurs. Inspired by Ellen DeGeneres, Helen wants the world to know that just because we find ourselves in a difficult situation doesn't mean we have to stay there. We can aid ourselves to a better life. So join us for Self-Aid Success Stories with Helen Wu. Wednesday nights at 10, 9 central on toginet.com. Welcome back to iUniverse Radio with host Steve Jorgensen. Hello, everyone. I'm Clint Yates on the iUniverse line today. Are foster children really valued? Are any children really valued? Will former foster children get over their past? Will the painful legacy of foster care ever end? Carol Lucas is proud to present a unique book to people with very unique issues, former foster children. It is her desire that 
Hope for Them, will be found in the pages of this book. And that's what we're going to talk to, to about today on the iUniverse line. The book is On the Bridge to Healing, Will We Ever Get Over It? by Carol Lucas. And she joins us by phone in her home state of Michigan today. Hello, Carol. How are you doing today? I'm doing fine. How are you? I'm, I'm doing terrific. So I guess the first question, and it seems kind of obvious, especially what I've been reading about you in your book, but this is very personal to you because this book is uh, uh, kind of about you, isn't it? Well, it's about me and about 500,000 other foster kids that are in the system at any given time. Well, you, but I, I guess what I was asking is the whole genesis of this book came from your experience as a foster child and needing to to share what you think will or what you hope will be some help for other foster children yes 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 years ago i went looking for a support group for former foster kids and uh and discovered that there wasn't one and so i decided to form something myself and it just sort of evolved into something bigger than i thought it would so this is 61 different stories is that right tell us a little bit about how your book has come together uh well i i formed a support group for former foster kids and then i started a website for it and i've got all the material on the website for people to have for their own personal meetings uh Kind of like AA, Alcoholics Anonymous, and other 12-step programs. And throughout the course of doing that, it dawned on me that I should perhaps put a book together because a lot of foster kids don't have access to the website, and I really want to promote the support group, which is called FACTS, Fostered Adult Children Together. And so that's how the book came about. And I um, interviewed, you know, quite, there's 61 stories, including my own. Um, so and I interviewed most of the people over the phone. A few people sent me their stories, and all I did was edit them, but the vast majority of them were done through phone interviews. So tell us, uh, Carol, tell us a little bit about FACT. Now, are you trying to grow this to a national kind of organization uh, like AA? Or tell well, us it's just, if you're familiar with 12-step programs, it's just a self-help support group where people can get together and and um and you know work through their their issues like alcoholics work through their issues with alcohol their drug addiction you know so what, what? Uh, wherever it ends up is wherever god wants it to end up i'm hoping that it can just reach the people it needs to reach you point out in some of your material uh, carol that foster children have some unique uh, issues to address in their life. For those of us who are not familiar with the foster care system, what are some of those issues? Well, I think the biggest issue would probably be the severe abandonment that they have gone through, uh, being ripped away from their families and, and uh, not knowing how to cope with that loss and it's never really dealt with maybe it is a little bit more today in our um today um children get some therapy and counseling that they need but um i mean 
people who have not been yanked away from their families and traumatized like that can't really understand what it's like for foster kids. And to be, many of them are put in one home after another, and the emotional issues worse with each home. And so the the, the problem gets con, uh, compounded. Um and a lot of former foster kids are either homeless or in prison or having a lot of problems. And unfortunately, a lot of times it gets repeated in, in families. It, it got repeated in my own, so I know. Um, well, tell us a little bit about your story, Carol. You were you were in the foster system as a as a child. Yeah, I was uh, put in care when I was just six, and I was there for about six years five years and um, I'm just fully aware of how I was affected by it because I uh, when I was around 19 I started drinking to escape my pain and then uh, uh, got sober when I was about 26, 27 and have been sober since but throughout the course of my recovery, I began to dawn on me that I had a lot deeper issues than just drinking, and that's when I started looking at my childhood and how I was affected by it. And so, and when I went searching for a support group that I knew I needed, I couldn't find one. And so I just decided that I was going to form something myself in my own community. And it just, like I said, the thing just, it, it ended up getting a lot bigger than I that I had plans for, but I'm a spiritual person, and, you know, God was in charge, and he had bigger plans than I did. Carol, do you think society in general has has a tendency just to kind of, with a lack of a better way to say it, just sometimes forget about the, the foster system and the kids in foster care? I, in think, I think people, as human beings, as, in a, as a general rule, are just so busy in their lives that they don't take the time to think about, you know, their own... Uh, they don't look at the bigger picture, and they don't. They just. They just don't. They just don't see it. You know. They. Uh, most people are really kind of selfish in a lot of ways. I mean, they're just self. They're in their own world. You know. They either want to push it under the carpet, or they just don't care enough to. To. I. I don't know. It, it just. A lot of people are just ignorant. They just don't know. What What are some of the, What are some of the things, Carol? You think communities can do? Uh, to, I, I know that your book really is for more of foster kids or former foster kids. But what is it a, a yeah. community could learn from the book or learn from your experience? What is it that they could do better to make the foster system better? Uh, well. <clears throat> Number one, when these kids are taken out of homes and put in strange homes, they need immediate attention. Not 20 years later when they're, you know, after they've um, ended up in prison or they're out in the street prostituting themselves because they have nowhere else to go or anybody to turn to. Um, they need immediate attention for their emotional issues and to be putting kids in those kind of situations and treating them like they're supposed to just get over it and be thankful for the home they're in is a bunch of nonsense. Because they're not thankful to be there. They want to be home with their families, you know. And, you know, you, you can't, 
people just don't understand what these kids are going through emotionally. You know, they 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 act like they're just supposed to get over it. Most you of know, you, yeah. Yeah, most of these ki- most of these kids, Carol, they they obviously aren't there voluntarily. For the large majority no, of them, not. they've been pulled out and of some kind of situation. They don't want to be there. Trust yeah. me. And a lot of them don't they, understand. They don't that. want to be there. Well, is that a fault of the not system? Their fault. I think that's one of the biggest issues, and and there's still a lot of stigma about it is that foster kids are walking around feeling like they did something wrong. They didn't do anything wrong. They were victims. It's not their fault their parents were neglectful or abusive or whatever, you know. They're in there because they were, because adults let them down, plain and simple. And they shouldn't be treated like it's their fault. And they feel that way until they get the help they need. And children, as generally, will will blame other people because they think there's if they're the bad one, then they can change themselves and make everything okay. But it isn't okay, and it's not their fault. And you know, everybody's affected differently. I only know how I was affected, and I know how the other sixty people I that shared stories with me were affected. Some are not so bad as others. It depends on the person, the experience, um, you know. The, the, if they're getting the support they need, by support I mean emotional support, you know, psychological help. But, you know, a lot of, I think the thing that bothers me the most or what comes to mind the most for me is that these children go into foster care with big issues to begin with. And a lot of people forget that. They they get the kid in care, and then they forget that these kids are already damaged. Like one girl said in her story, she said, we're already broken, don't shatter us. You know. Foster kids come in the system already screwed up, and, and unfortunately, they end up a lot more screwed up. A lot of them. So, so you, I'm being as honest as I can be because I'm very honest and just for real. So, in, so in your book, Carol, you are talking to primarily um, kids or adults, really, that at one time were were foster children. What is it you're hoping that they're going that that audience is going to get from your book? Well, that's I really basically wrote the book for foster kids. If the general public wants to be involved or they want to read it, fine and dandy, but it's really there for foster kids. That is my primary purpose in writing the book is to reach foster kids. I want them to know they're not alone. That's the main thing I want them to know because that is a big, huge healing right there. It's just to know they're not alone, that there's other people who've gone through what they've gone through and actually do understand, you know. Um, they, they feel isolated, a lot of them, so that's real important that they know they're not alone. And that's really what the main thing that I want foster kids to know. They're not alone, and there is a way to... To heal, I mean, it, it takes time. It takes, you know, I put in place ten 
called the Ten Stepping Stones and the Bridge to Healing. It's based on 12 steps like AA, Alcoholics Anonymous, but it is Ten Stepping Stones. And it's a way for people to work through their anger and pain and, and turn their life over, hopefully, to a God as they understand Him to be. And, and reach out and, you know, be with each other. And, you know, that's what really fact, that's why I call it fostered adult children together. Because, uh, people, we're working through this together. We're not alone. You know, and I've kept in touch with, uh, a number of the people who've shared stories with me. And, uh, in fact, one girl's putting my book on Twitter for me. Um, I just, there's a lot of healing that takes place when you know you're not alone. You know. And really, when, and, uh, when you use the word... The walls come crumbling down when you know you're not. When you use the word together, that really, I, I have to guess that, from what I hear you saying, really kids who have been in foster care are the only ones that really kind of understand what it is that uh, you've gone through. That's it. That's it. I didn't write the book for the public. I mean, if they want to read it, that's fine. I can't, I can't, I can't call them not. But that's not why I wrote the book. It's for foster kids. You know, I've had, that. That's why I wrote it. You know, um, we all have our language. We know. You know, it's just like a drug addict knows another drug addict. Well, foster no one foster kid knows another foster kid. We're in the same boat. We're on the same boat. Just like all alcoholics are in the same boat, it's it's uh, sink or swim, you know. So, and we support each other. Yeah. So your book is about uh, also. There's parts of it about fact. Again, as we mentioned uh, there at the, the top of our interview, fostered adult children together. Now that's kind of the model support group you put together in your community. And I know you have uh, a website with some more information and. Uh, tell us about that, where people can go to learn not only more about your book, but also about your your uh, support group. I don't have a support group here in Michigan. Um, I, I thought, this is hard to explain. Um, I didn't actually form one here. I did it one time, it just didn't work out, and we, we went our separate ways. But... Um, not that I'm against the idea, it's just that I, as time went on, I began to realize that, that, that I was supposed to be doing something bigger than just forming a support group in my area. My, my job is to, to have the website and to help promote it through, through anybody else in the country or the world that wants it and to get this book out. So I haven't really been focusing on a support group here. I'm more focused on a I have a bigger view of that now. You know what I'm saying? I'm just trying to reach out to whoever. Uh, there is the girl in California who's interested in forming meetings out there, and you know, England. I'm I'm more interested in helping other people promote their support groups hmm. if they if they help. Okay. Well, tell us about the website where folks can go and learn more about that, as w- as well as learn more in order your uh, book. It's uh, just www fact f-a-c-t supportgroup.com simple okay terrific and of course your book is available there the name of the book we've been talking about today is on the bridge to healing will we ever get over it it is available also as well through iUniverse the author is Carol Lucas Carol thanks for being with us today thank you very much
iUniverse Radio is brought to you by iUniverse, the leading book marketing, editorial services, and supported self-publishing company. iUniverse Radio is produced by TogiNet Radio. Radio with a cutting edge.